Leadership File on Premier. Welcome to the show that helps you lead as Christ would have you lead if he were you. Whether you're listening live or one of the many thousands who listen via the podcast, it's great to have you along. And if you're new to the show, a reminder that the show is available on demand via premierradio.com or via iTunes or Podbean. Just type the leadership file and you can select from several hundred past episodes. Now, Jesus says some amazing things, and I wonder how you understand his words from the so-called upper room discourse, where in John 15, verse 7, he says, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Well, my guest on The Leadership File this week uh, read those words and was not at all sure what to make of them. His name is Craig Hazen. He's a professor of comparative religion and Christian apologetics at Biola University in Los Angeles. He's also the founder and director of the Master of Arts program in Christian apologetics. And he's written a book on the verse entitled Fearless Prayer, Why We Don't Ask and Why We Should. So he's in the UK for the Unbelievable Conference 2019. It's my delight to have him as my desk. So welcome, uh, Oh, Craig. thanks for having me on, Andy. Great great to have you along. Um, we'll talk about your apologetics <coughs> interest a bit later, but I wanted to focus uh, on a topic that will be relevant whether we're in, in leadership or not, and that is the subject of prayer. So I was thrilled when in doing the research to see that you'd written this book on prayer and was, was, was delighted to read it before chatting to you. It's clear from the book that this verse has really captivated you. Oh, my goodness. You know, and... and and I'm not the kind of guy who writes a book on prayer. So it shocked many of my colleagues. You know, in fact, I remember when I got a contract to write the book, one of my colleagues on campus mm. said, so what are you doing this summer, Hazen? I said, well, I'm uh, going to write a book, got a contract. Oh, what on? I said, prayer. And he just looked at me. You know, <laughs> he, he wasn't sure what that was going to be like because I you know, spend most of my time in apologetics and philosophy mm. and comparative religions. Mm. And I just don't seem like the guy who's going to write a book on prayer. But this, this passage that you cited in uh, John, 15, especially John fifteen seven. You know, if if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask for anything and it will be done for you. What in the world <laughs> does that mean? Yeah, you yeah. know, I'm not I'm not sure. I, I I know that I don't exactly live that out, and I don't know anybody who really does. And so, sure. what what in the world was Jesus talking about? You did. You had a little bit of apologetics. You managed to squeeze it in, didn't you? I did. Yeah. <laughs> so, so. You know, any, anytime I want people to take. Uh, the word of God seriously. It doesn't help to do a little bit of apologetics to get sure. them oriented to the Indeed. reliability yeah. of his word. Sure. And, and let's just say that um, for, for some listeners, that word will be unusual. So the word apologetics, give us a, a quick definition. Yeah, it's simply offering reasons for faith. You know, uh, making your case that Jesus was a real historical figure, mm. uh, that he really was the son of God, that he died on a Roman cross and that he came back from the dead, that, that God really exists, that the problem of evil, pain and suffering in the world doesn't completely undermine Christianity. That's, that's what apologetics does. And it's actually a, a great Christian calling to be prepared always to give an answer, says the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter 3.15. So it actually is a, and some people think it's, a, it's, a, it's some sort of thing that only, you know, professors in, are involved in. That, that's not the case. It really is something for everybody. In fact, it's a, it's a pastoral concern. It's it's just helping people overcome their objections and their doubts. Yeah. No, thank you, thank you for just underlining that. So, so people going back to this verse, uh, this prayer verse, uh, people have dismissed the verse as not applying to believers such as us, 
Uh, and you're careful to correct that fallacy in the book, aren't you? Right. Uh, uh, I've I bumped into people who think, well, yeah, that's really for the super Christians, you know, the, the Billy Grahams and the Mother Teresas, you know, the people who've probably seen God's glory directly. Mm. Uh, but there's nothing like that in the verse. In fact, Jesus is speaking this, really not in the upper room. It actually says they left the upper room. And so he's, mm. he's on the road walking with them or yeah. they, they sat down and he's only hours away from being arrested and tried. Jesus. And uh, and he's presenting this to a ragtag bunch as barely seems to be understanding it. And it's a group that would actually be running away and denying him in hours. Yeah. So it wasn't exactly the uh, spiritual creme de la creme to which he was presenting this. So I think this, this little promise that's so astonishing uh, mm. might very well apply to us. Sure. So uh, can you give us a summary of what the verse means? Because obviously the book is unpacking that and you go through the, the different caveats, what it may mean, what it doesn't mean and that sort of thing. But to, to summarise, for, for leaders listening who are maybe facing whatever in their lives and perhaps are thinking, good gracious, maybe I could ask God for that. Uh, give them some encouragement or some explanation of what the verse means. Oh, here's the, here's the big encouragement right here. <laughs> uh, don't miss this one. He really meant it. Ah. Okay. Jesus really meant it. If you abide in him mm. and his words abide in you, you really can't ask for anything mm. and it will be done for you. Now, uh, I spend the book going through various objections. In fact, I, I claim in the book that this verse dies the death of a thousand qualifications. Yeah, yeah. And, and everywhere I go, people qualify, qualify it by saying, Hazen, you got to be careful with a verse like that. You know, <laughs> don't take it too seriously. Mm. Understand that there's all kinds of parameters yeah. and ramifications and so on. <laughs> And once I dug into it, I go, this is actually a very simple verse. And, and the key to the whole thing really is the context. Once you deal with the objections, there, there is a context to it. And the context is all about fruit bearing and, and moving God's kingdom forward. And so I think the bottom line is if you are interested in bearing his fruit, if you are interested in moving his kingdom forward. And you are indeed abiding in him, which is not an impossibility at all. In fact, I think uh, if anybody's listening to a, a Christian radio program trying to get fed through uh, what's going on in this broadcast, they're probably very interested in following Jesus, abiding in him and having uh, the words of our Lord abide in them. So let's say they fulfill the conditional. If they're interested in bearing his fruit, I think you can take this to the bank. You will have what you ask for with regard to that fruit bearing enterprise. Yeah. Oh, fabulous. Fabulous. Good. Um, so what do you hope the book will do? You know, I hope it just encourages people. And so far, so good. Mm. I, I, I really get thrilled uh, to hear how pastors and Christian leaders have read the book and they go, oh, my goodness. You know, mm. uh, this has just kind of re reinvigorated my prayer life. Uh, so I'm really thrilled to hear that. I, like I said, I wasn't the kind of guy who was mm. really going to write a book on prayer, but to watch it encourage people uh, along those lines has really been a thrill. Good. Thank you. Well, you're, you're a professor in comparative religion and apologetics. Um, I'm sure there are fallacies around the kind of things you study. So what, what are the typical misunderstandings when people hear the kind of things you do? Yeah, you know, I don't use the word apologetics very okay. often. 
Uh, unfortunately, it's 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 embedded in the graduate program in which I teach mm. and in my own title, so okay. I can't really run away from it well. But but it is kind of an archaic term and takes some explanation. Mm. But uh, when people hear the word apologetics, they go, "Oh, I know some of those guys." <laughs> you know, they're the they're the crazy, pointy-headed people who try to argue people into Christianity. Mm. And you know what? I know people who seem like they try to do that, and uh, and it's really not particularly helpful, and they don't mm-hmm. they don't tend to be particularly successful. Uh, but apologetics actually is a very important discipline, and I think uh, we find ourselves as Christians as kind of a second class people in Western society now because we haven't taken. Uh, we haven't taken it seriously. The idea of apologetics, being being ready to give an answer to people and having some excellent reasons for faith. So apologetics is not about arguing people into the kingdom. It's about offering uh, good reasons to believe in Jesus and be a follower of his. Of his. It's, a, it's a handmaiden to evangelism. Right, right. If you're going to offer the gospel, somebody's going to ask you a tough question about it in these days. Sure, sure. Now, the U.S. and the U.K. are multicultural and multi-faith nations. Um, are there particular things you'd want to, to say to the church in the two nations about your, about your field? Yeah, you know, no matter where you go, uh, truth tends to be truth. And, uh, <laughs> and, and what we're trying to do in Apologetics is just in, in, a, in a humble and careful way, without lording it over people, present to them not just the gospel, but the excellent foundation in fact and history that we have in presenting the gospel mm. and the gospel truth. I mean, there, there really is a God. Uh, he really does have a son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And he uh, really did die on a Roman cross and come back from the dead. I think we can know those things to be true. I think we can know them. And it's not just about having truth. It's about being able to know the truth in these very strange days. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in sort of the postmodern world and post-Christian world in which we live, uh, the idea of knowledge has kind of gone out the window. Well, it really hasn't. It's been here all along. And uh, we and, and as good Christian thinkers and apologists, we want to make sure people not only understand that there is truth, but that they can actually know it through sure. careful investigation. Yeah. Now, we're recording this before the Unbelievable Conference. Um, so what will you be speaking on? Oh, well, I'm actually going to be speaking on the, the things I've just mentioned. <clears throat> I, I really want to focus on what I consider to be one of the greatest objections that people have to Christianity. Because I get to ask that a lot on in churches and on secular university campuses and so on. What's the, what's the biggest problem that people face uh, in, of an apologetics nature? And uh, so I'm going to be talking about what that is and, and how to respond to that. Okay. I'm also going to talk about uh, how how Christianity is unique among the world religions. How it's how it's set apart in rather dramatic fashion. Okay. Oh, f- f- fascinating. Well, uh, obviously this will have happened by the time we broadcast. Oh, well, sadly. I didn't entice anybody to come. Then. <laughs> <laughs> so, no. So, uh, are you able to share what that what that question is for? Yeah. Sure. Uh, so it's really not a question. Interestingly, it's a it's a frame of mind. Uh, that people approach Christianity with, or okay. really any religion. And that is this. Uh, well, Christianity, uh, Islam, Buddhism, you name it, it doesn't really matter. Uh, there's really no knowledge in these religions. Okay. You know, uh, there's no knowledge. There's, there's plenty of blind faith, plenty of blind leaping. And you basically, you know, one, one it feels good to you and you, you line up behind it. Uh, but there's really no knowledge. 
Uh, that is simply not true with Christianity. At the center of Christianity is objective knowledge. And that's why we have the discipline of apologetics. And that's why we have Christian historians and philosophers. It's because we're actually a very knowledge-centric people. And so that, that's what I want to focus on, that Christianity is actually a, a knowledge tradition. Okay. Well, bless you. Thank you. You'll be listening to The Legion Far with me, Andy Peck. I'm joined this week by Craig Hazen. He's the Professor of Comparative Religion and Christian Apologetics at Biola University. We'll be back just after this. Welcome back to The Leadership File with me, Andy Peck. I'm joined this week by Craig Hazen. He's the Professor of Comparative Religion and Christian Apologetics at Biola University, Los Angeles, and also founder and director of the Master of Arts program in Christian Apologetics. We're talking before the break a little bit about his book, Fearless Prayer, Why We Don't Ask and Why We Should. And we're on to really his reason for being in the UK, which is for the unbelievable conference in 2019. And uh, talk a little bit about the apologetics uh, topics that he's going to be focusing on and about that as a, as a kind of a general theme. Um, Craig, you've been in the UK before, and I'm just wondering um, whether you sense anything culturally uh, that would mean that your message in the UK is, is different from the kind of things you say in the US, or do you, do you basically feel we're, we're, we're very similar? It, it, it does feel like it's a bit of a tougher nut to crack. Okay, thank yeah. you. Yeah. But that's, that seems to be true in parts of the United States, sure, too. Sure. If I go to Texas, hey, it's easy to present this kind of material. <laughs> okay. they, they eat it up and yeah, they yeah. can't wait for the next time. But if I, if I go to Boston or someplace mm. in New England, it's, it's much more difficult. Or the Pacific Northwest of Portland, Oregon, or Seattle, Washington, it's, sure. it's much more difficult. People are just... Uh, they're, they're, their uh, their base point is is secularism, you know, okay. and and it's it standoffish towards Christianity and honestly religion in general. Sure, yeah, uh, certainly it seems as if the UK is, um, you know, is, is a tougher place. We, we, Christendom has passed much, you know, for, for some generations, right? Um, compared to the US, where even though you've got a separation of church and state, you do seem you still have a a high percentage of people who are church attending every week and a high belief uh, in God and, and and in Jesus. Yeah, it you know it, I think it would it would shock some uh, uh, Christians in the UK to do kind of a, a mega church tour of the United States. There are so many of them. Yeah, yeah. Huge churches. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of little ones too. It's uh, you you just really don't get the right picture. Christianity is really a dominant <clears throat> force still in the United States. And in and your own city, Los Angeles, you've got everything from Saddleback through to uh, Robert Schuler's place through to Costa Mesa, Calvary Chapel, Costa oh, Mesa. Yeah, yeah. In fact, uh, John in the, MacArthur. Yeah, in the area I grew up, there were like three mega churches within yeah. you know several square miles. You know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, so many, many listeners listening, uh, particularly church leaders, face the challenge of equipping their people in apologetics. Uh, and many won't have started because perhaps they presume it's appropriate only for academics. Um, but what would you say to encourage them to engage in this topic and, and what practically could they do to help to help their church members think sensibly about these kind of themes? Yeah, you know, when I, when I am addressing a big church audience in the United States... Uh 
uh, one way I can capture their attention is simply this. Uh, let me talk to you grandparents for a moment. I know you're looking at your uh, grandkids going, what in the world happened? They have all these strange questions. They're believing the wildest things. They don't seem like they're heading down the Christian path whatsoever. Yep. If, I, if I mention that, all the grandparents perk up. So they, they, they go, oh, my goodness, what happened? You know, what, uh, uh, there's a whole new set of questions and issues that we just are not familiar with. Yeah. And what, what they come to realize very quickly is we didn't take the, the knowledge component of Christianity seriously enough. Mm. So our kids now basically just don't believe this. And there's, some bit, there, there's been some important uh, research done on this. You know, you've probably heard the idea that, uh, or maybe this is just a big thing in the United States, you know, our, our children are leaving the church in greater numbers and at a faster pace than ever before. You know? yeah. And usually that's used, used as a fundraising uh, motto. Uh, but, but it turns out to be true. Some research has been done, and it is true. We're losing more young people, and we're losing them at a faster pace than before. The follow-up question to that would be, well, why? Why, why? why are they leaving? And after everything else is factored in, it turns out that there's one answer to that question that's several orders of magnitude greater than the other answers. And it's this. The kids simply don't believe it's true. Right. They don't believe it's true. Uh, third question, third and last question, is there anything that can help? The research has shown that too. Yes, indeed. If, if you actually give uh, the kids some, some, uh, some uh, engaging apologetics teaching, show them why. It's, it's completely reasonable to believe that God exists. Show them why is, uh, that Jesus was a real historical figure and so on. Um, what you do by doing that, uh, the kids, they, they come back into the fold. They get settled. In fact, it's not just that they cling to Christianity with their fingernails at that point, but they actually become robust participants in what's going on in church life. They pray more. They give more. They serve more. They're just much more committed because suddenly they believe it's true. And that is that sinks down deeply and affects their actions. Good. Oh, that's encouraging. So you're, you would be saying, look, guys, you need to start being investing. In, in these kind of themes at the very youngest age, almost. Yes. I, it, Not just Bible stories, but actually explaining that this is true. That's right. And one of my favorite things to do when, when I'm invited uh, into talk to a, a junior high group, and, and in the United States, that'd be like 13 and 14-year-olds, maybe mm. even 12-year-olds, or high schoolers, you know, up through 18 years old. I like to role play. I'll come in and simply start to tear apart the Christian faith as some sort of religious studies professor or some sort of atheist philosopher. Mm. And the kids, they, 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 they don't know what happened. They go, you know, uh, they, they don't know what to do <laughs> in, in the face of that. But they hear that kind of thing all along. And then that primes them to turn it around and then reveal that I'm not really an atheist mm. professor and begin to offer them some real answers. It, it just changes the whole mode. At first, they were just kind of standoffish to all, all that was going on in Christianity, especially the knowledge component. Now they want it so uh, badly. Uh, anyway, the, the research has shown that, the, that this can really make a difference. And I found that role-playing can really engage students. Yeah. Now, the, you're, you're a professor of apologetics, but you're also a professor of comparative religion and apologetics. And it's the comparative religion dimension that often is a challenge within the UK because, in, you know, we've come through a generation where the multiculturalism has increased and therefore the average British Christian is very aware that there are other faiths around them 
And particularly the younger people are thinking, well, why shouldn't, you know, why shouldn't my Muslim friend, you know, why shouldn't yes. they be justified kind of thing as, as yeah. well as me? And so uh, talking about those issues are going to be key within it all. Yeah, well, uh, you know, people in the United States, maybe in Nebraska, they're really not uh, being <laughs> impacted by the multicultural sure, scene. Sure. But in Los Angeles, we certainly are. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my goodness. That, and I got to tell you, uh, you know, I became a Christian uh, uh, at about 18 years old. and but, but one of the big questions I was walking around with before becoming a Christian was, well, what about all the religions? Mm-hmm. There seem to be so many of them, and they all seem to be basically saying the same thing. Right, you know? right. Uh, close your eyes and follow yes. me. You know? uh, and so that, that was an important question early on in my own Christian life. And so uh, it, it was so important that I ended up doing a doctorate in comparative religion at a very oh, well. secular school. Because mm-hmm. and, and I wanted to find out what the Buddhists actually taught and what the Muslims mm-hmm. believe and, uh, and Christians and Jews and, you know, religions that were just being invented at the mm-hmm. time in Los Angeles. Uh, and so that that just fascinated me. And but through my even even very secular graduate study in comparative religion, I discovered that Christianity really is a standout among the religions on a number of very important factors. Uh, for instance, uh, Christianity is is testable. It's testable. It's it's objectively testable. In other words, uh, Here's an example. In, in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, starting with verse 12, Paul says, if, if Jesus did not come back from the dead, our faith is worthless. If Jesus did not come back from the dead, our faith is empty. Oh, my goodness. You see how he links uh, his, uh, the, the value of the faith with this historical reality of Jesus coming back from the dead. If it didn't happen, Christianity's just not true. And I think we have the, the authority of the Apostle Paul to move on to something else, you yeah. know, if we discover that that thing didn't really happen. That is very strange. In fact, I claim that 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12 and on is, is one of the strangest passages I've ever read in religious literature altogether yeah, yeah. because of its objective connection to a historical reality. Yeah. So Christianity is not clever ideas that you quote believe and hope are true, but they're about, it's grounded in reality and history, and, and that history makes a difference to... Yes, and, and that really is strange in the whole history yes, of religion. Comparing to others. Other, uh, we haven't got time now to, to look any more detail, Craig, sadly time is defeating us, but any particular books that, that particularly church leaders might get that might help them, particularly in the comparative religion theme or in apologetics in general, that you particularly recommend? Oh, I wish I had my bookshelf in front of me. I could pull out a few and wave them around, but to yeah. remember authors and titles off, sure. off the top of my head. There's actually a great need for Christians mm. who can actually articulate uh, clear thinking on these other faith traditions. Yeah. Uh, the, unfortunately, in in, uh, in evangelical Christianity, there aren't many thinkers okay. who can actually address those things. Okay. Evidence that demands a verdict was a book that I, when I was a student, yes. that was... That was my help. And are you, are you listening to you? It's reminding me of how how helpful that was when I was at university to think because I'd, I'd had a faith. I was a Christian, but going away to university and, and being challenged, I realised you know I had to I had to dig deeper. And evidence that demands a verdict, and it's now 
it's got other editions now, uh, was a help to me. Would that be a book that you'd recommend? Oh, sure. In fact, uh, Josh McDowell. Josh McDowell and Sean mm. McDowell. They're, uh, Sean McDowell is one of my faculty members oh, at Biola okay. University. <laughs> okay, fair enough. And his dad, Josh, visits all the time. Okay, yeah. spend his time. Okay, good. Well, time is time has defeated us, sadly, Craig. But uh, just uh, time to remind uh, listeners of uh, your book, uh, Fearless Prayer, Why We Don't Ask and Why We Should. And uh, so thank you for, for sharing about that. And thank you for being over for the unbelievable conference and for sharing oh, on the leadership. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate right. it, Andy. So thank you for, for joining us this week, uh, whether you join us via a podcast or via uh, live uh, via the radio. That's great to have you. Uh, do, as I say, go to the Premier Radio's website and download archived versions of the Leadership Fire. You can get a copy of my book, The Leadership Road Less Travelled, by going to the Premier Bookstore. That includes uh, thoughts from me of... Just sort of 10 years or so or 12 years or so of, of, of running this uh, this show um, so do do that do join us again next Sunday at 3.30 or uh, get your podcast and listen via that thanks for joining us God bless you've been listening to The Leadership File on Premier Andy Peck serves as a tutor at CWR a Christian charity whose courses and publications aim to apply God's word to everyday life contact him via email peck at cwr.org.uk.